The world of ministry to teenagers can offer a full range of emotion, interesting challenges, rewarding victories, and discouraging difficulty. It is important to remember that the work we do with students is vital. It is good to be reminded that what you do matters and is appreciated. We hope that the time you spend here will encourage you and equip you to hit the mark in life and ministry. Welcome to the Scopehost Podcast, impacting youth ministry in Oklahoma and beyond. Hello and welcome to the Scopehost Podcast. This is Todd Sanders with the BGCO, and I'm in studio with... Pastor Ed Newton, Community Bible Church, San Antonio, Texas. Ed, it's so good to have you with us. Always a pleasure, and uh, we always love sitting down and chatting with you. Um, Thank you for taking time out of your busy uh, camp week. You're here at Falls Creek with us. Um, And this is how many years in a row have you been with us? Ten. Ten years. So so I think you started, what, 09? Was that your first summer? Yes, sir. With us. So um, it's always good to have you. I know people look forward to it. And we look forward to it behind the scenes, just being able to hang out and and reconnect in that way. So um, we're going to sit down and talk about a couple of things today, um, just in a conversation uh, about two things in particular that I would like to ask you about. One is just this idea of transition. So not in the too distant past, uh, you've recently made a pretty big transition moving from you know, full-time, itinerant, on the road, ministry in that sense, speaking, preaching, teaching, uh, and that preaching ministry to the local church, local church, uh, senior pastor, Um, So tell us a little bit about that, Uh, just what led you to that? How did you know? So there may be many of our listeners who are out uh, out there that are maybe experiencing kind of that feeling, like am I at a crossroads? Maybe it's a stage of life thing or um, just God's calling them onto something else, Um, whether that's into a different context or maybe a different position. But what are some of the things as you made that transition and, and you and your family made that transition um, that you knew for sure this this was the thing that God had for you. I was a senior in high school when God called me to ministry, Todd. And I think if somebody could have said this to me when I was a high school senior, it's not so much what God calls you to do, it's what God calls you to be. And so as we become, we begin to discover that He gives us the desires of our heart, as Psalm 37 says. But Really, it's not our desires. He actually begins to transform our desires to match up and come into sync with his desires. And so for me, as a high school senior, I thought I'd be a youth pastor my entire life and did that for about a year as a senior in college and then went on to be a recreation pastor and a college and single adults pastor and an evangelism pastor. And then for 13 years after that season was an itinerant evangelist. So it seems as if that my resume, my religious resume has been transition, transition, transition. But really going back to the statement, it's not so much about doing, it's about being. And really the the mission has been the same, and that is to love Jesus supremely and others sacrificially. And so the assignment has changed. But I think for me personally, there were some things that was transforming in my heart after 13 years of being on the road, about 200 days a year, I did the math. It was interesting how my heart began to shift. I was longing for home. I always had that sense of being torn. God, you've called me to go do this, but calling me to go do this meant that I had to back out of a driveway and leave the people that I was called to to lead the most, my wife and my kids. But there became a season for me where there was more of a longing to be rooted and connected to a faith family because there were a lot of moments for me where I was coming home from great, massive movements of God, like at Falls Creek, and my wife and kids would hear 
the stories and my heart began to cry out for could we begin to actually do this together we were doing it together we just weren't geographically together and so that shift in my heart began to happen but as an itinerant evangelist you're connected to a lot of pastors and youth pastors so I really didn't tell anybody that this was going on in my heart but my heart was shifting more towards being based in a local church in the role of a pastor which is crazy because for me I was like Lord I'll do anything you ask me to do but pastor is is at the bottom of the list not because <laughs> it's not a position of significance but because of the gravity of the weight and the responsibility mm-hmm. because as an itinerant evangelist you heard all the struggles you heard all the battles. You heard the, the battle scars or the battle stories that led to battle scars. And I just went, God, I, I'm too insecure. I was non-confrontational and wanted everybody to like me. But I realized this, Todd, that if God was going to sanctify me to the place that he wanted me to be as a leader, he would have to put me in that position as a pastor to refine some things in my heart that needed to be addressed, like my identity, the, the kryptonite of my soul, which was insecurity and also how to love people and lead people. So major transition for me that came out of right field. This church I'm at right now, I was the men's preacher for six years, and then the pastor who started the church over 27 years ago called me. And it, it's not by happenstance. It was about that time that he called me. It was the end of October. So when it comes to transitions and it comes to God's will, there's a, there's a lot of things. The proverbial tendency in all of us is to throw out the fleece, but that's dangerous because then we begin to give the prescription to God of how He's supposed to obey our commands, but really it's us obeying His commands. But it was in Scripture that God began to confirm in my heart. It was in Proverbs chapter 27. It was about October 27th. I try to read a proverb a day, and God had been causing my heart to be restless. That's probably a good statement for somebody that's listening today. God's called you, but there's a sense of restlessness. But our tendency is to run in the restlessness, to go find something that we feel would be the remedy. But when your heart grows restless, it's really important that we don't run, that we rest. And rest in the fact that if God called you, He'll make it very clear where He's leading you. And Proverbs 27, for me, about that time I was reading in October October 27th, was this verse. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 23, "Know Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. And that had never been true because I was that guest preacher that came in. I wasn't leading a flock. I didn't have a herd, as Proverbs 27 would say. And that is, I felt that sense and calling. That that verse I'd read so many times, but it just stood out to me that God was calling me to be an under-shepherd as He was the great shepherd. So I believe there's a lot of things there, and I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing here. But if I were to go back to the journal entries of my heart, my heart was restless. I knew I was called to ministry. I just didn't know what it looked like. And as I was growing restless, I was trying to remain faithful where God had planted me. I think the tendency for all of us is to try to, to see someone else's position, someone else's platform, and see ourselves in that role. But the gifting that God's given you, you have to trust that that He has equipped you for a purpose and a call that's not of yourself, and you got to trust Him in the process and know that it's in God's timing. God's will is about timing and opportunity. And transition is a very difficult thing because when our heart feels restless, we immediately, like we pull the ripcord and we try to we try to get out. But sometimes it's in those moments of waiting in the restlessness that God begins to actually give us the skill set that we need for the next place that we're going to. 
And if we shortcut the process, then we may be missing the very thing that we need to take to the next place. And so in those restless days, we begin to wait and God confirms. And he usually does that by his word. When we look like I've been studying about Gideon for a message that I'm sharing to our church, throwing out that fleece, as I mentioned earlier, he had no scripture. If he did have the Torah or the Pentateuch, he had five books of the Bible. Well, good news, believers, we got 66. We got more revelation from those that were in the Old Testament. And so in transition, just my, my prayer would be let God validate it, not just through man, by, but instead by his word. He'll use man to confirm it, but let it originate in regards to the word. Let God just speak to you with, a, with an undeniable truth that his word proclaimed it over your life. Uh, was there a time when you were going through this process as you were, like you said, um, being faithful through that restlessness? There was a day where or maybe a, a shorter season where it was like we knew for beyond a shadow of a doubt, like we knew this was the thing, like, yeah, this is the confirmation. What did that look like for you? So for us to back up, when we took this step of faith, the name of our itinerant ministry, our nonprofit was called Steps of Faith because that journey, my daughter London's 15 now, but when we took that step of faith from that church position into itinerant world, London was about to be born. And so my wife and I, pregnant with London, were stepping down from our church with no insurance, no income, no livelihood, and everybody thought we were crazy. So we named our ministry Step of Faith, Steps of Faith. So we knew that the next season for us, just the way that God's trajectory for us had been, would be a greater step of faith than that step of faith. So there were a lot of opportunities that came, but I want to be very careful because I don't want to sound arrogant. But there were opportunities that I I could have done in a comfort zone. But we knew that that step of faith for us would be in the deep water where we would literally have to breathe this prayer every day. God, if you don't help us, we'll fail. And I'm not saying that I, I had all realms covered in ministry, but that one place was to pastor. And I knew because of my insecurities and my deficiencies and not being very administrative, there are two types of people in life, Todd. There are people that organize pep rallies, and there are people that cheer at them. And I'm just a cheerleader. You know, hand me some pom-poms and a megaphone, and we'll fire some folks up. But tell me where i got to send them after the motivational message. And so for me personally, God began to make it quite clear that the next step for you in this journey would be a greater step of faith than the one that you took to go into itinerant ministry. And if the next step felt logical, if it was explainable, that you felt like, yeah, I could do that, and I think I'd be pretty good at it, most likely that wouldn't be the opportunity, but it instead would be something that would so stretch me, that would cause me to utterly wake up every day and go, God, if you don't give me wisdom, if you don't give me discernment, Mm -hmm. if you don't give me the capacity to do what you've called me to do, I will fail miserably, miserably. And that's, as we look at the journey and the place that we're at right now, now they're almost three years. I still wake up today and go, God, if you don't help me, I'll fail miserably. So it's a it's a anxiety-filled place at times when I get in the flesh, but it's such a liberating place to know that, God, it, I didn't get myself here. You called me here, and if you called me here, then you'll provide for me here. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let me ask you this. What is, um, what, what's been the most difficult thing about the transition? Um, just in moving into that role, the eye opener, like 
wow, knew that might be a thing, but didn't expect it like that, or wasn't even expecting that? What's been the most difficult part of it? One word, criticism. It's one thing to be that itinerant preacher that comes in that you've heard this phrase before, you blow in, blow up, blow out. Mm-hmm. You know, you just move on. Here at Falls Creek, five days. For the most part, you hear nothing but positive here. Everybody's so encouraging, so affirming. Nobody walks up to you and criticizes you or dissects your delivery. For the most part, they just they see you as temporal. You're transitioning. If so, if they're against you, they don't waste energy writing you a note, sending you an email, blasting you on Twitter. They just hey, the week will come to a close and we move on and we'll get another speaker next year. In church world and those that are listening understand this whether you're a kids pastor or you're a senior pastor in between either side it doesn't matter being in the local church is hard because of criticism it's the hardest thing i've ever had to deal with where i've i've prayed god give me teflon skin but yet a tender heart and when criticism comes it's real easy fear causes people to hide and so many times I, I have felt like I need to hide underneath this rock so I, I don't have to take another flaming arrow of somebody saying that I'm not what they were hoping for in a church. So you think about it, like when people leave a church, usually there's a lot of reasons. But when that reason is you, man, that's hard. That's really hard for me because I'm such a people pleaser. I want everybody to like me. And that was the hardest thing for me. And when you follow a legacy guy like I follow, top 25 most influential men in San Antonio was the pastor that I followed, and immediately it was criticism. You don't dress like him. You don't talk like him. And and I've just tried to teach people, be you, embrace your identity. You're different. God's called us all to be different. But it was the first time I'd ever felt somebody say that I needed to be somebody else. And that was just so hard for me because my, my reaction was, so you, you don't like me? And then there was a moment, Todd, where here I am as a husband and a dad. I really began to wrestle with, well, maybe I should try to be somebody that I'm not. But if that causes me to be more liked, then maybe I do need to change the way I dress or the way I talk. And praise be to God that he just, through his spirit and through some people that spoke truth in my life, just solidified, no, just hang on. Just hang on. So criticism. Yeah. Well, and it's a good reminder, too, uh, if you're going through that process or anticipating that God's doing something new, um, even though it's right, it's not always easy. Mm. And so you're going to face those things and there are going to be those moments of realization. But on the other side of that, the other uh, other thing I want to ask, what's been the most reward, the payoff in that transition since you've made this move three years ago? Life change. It's been beautiful. God's word. I, I think about this. His word never returns void. And so for me, just trying to stay faithful as a minister of the gospel, serving up and teaching the whole counsel of God, watching people be revolutionized and transformed, to watch life change, death to life stories has been the greatest reward. So even in the midst of criticism, and, and it's, it's minimal. I don't know if there's anybody listening that feels like me. You could receive 10,000 compliments, but you get 10 criticisms, and your whole world begins to crumble. And so I'm not trying to make it seem as if I'm constantly under the scrutiny of criticism, but it doesn't take much for me to get off center and really boasting in the fact that Christ has been sovereign, that he has honored his word, watching people have death to life stories has been the wind behind my back and the courage in my soul and the swiftness in my feet to be quick to respond 
to his leadership in my life. So Death to Life Stories has really been the testimony. But even but here's here's what I would say to somebody. Oftentimes the metric of success is life change. This number of people gave their life to Jesus or this number of baptisms or our, our ministry has grown to this number. And we have to be careful, and I'm just speaking just from personal experience, that we can find our validation sometimes through compensation or even through affirmation. And when our validation comes from external areas areas versus an internal area of the of the fact that God's pleased with us. Mother Teresa said it best that success in ministry is is not fruitfulness, it's faithfulness. And so to know that I'm doing what God's called me to do has to be the greatest joy in my life. And at times I find the metrics being numbers. Yeah. Because yeah. everything in me wants to prove the doubters wrong. And if my response to doing ministry is to prove the doubters wrong, then I'm off base myself. Yeah. No. Good reminder. And I think there are those transformational things that uh, are non-numeric mm-hmm. that we can we can look to to really see uh, what's what's happening uh, through our ministry and, and the true marks of success. Um, so we're going to take a little break here, come back. And what I want to do is dive into just a little question about that transition, something you said a moment ago. So we'll be back, segment two, with Ed Newton here in studio on the Scopus Podcast. And we're back on the Scopos Podcast in studio with Ed Newton. Ed Newton from Community Bible Church in San Antonio. Um, you get a lot of good text messages. I love how you just there. said that, man. That was really San Antonio? Yes, sir. San like a native. Um, my dad used to live outside San Antonio in Bernie. Man. Yeah. That's one of the fastest growing towns in Texas. So. Uh, years and years ago. Um, but uh, let's talk about uh, something you said a moment ago. You talked about looking ahead at being a pastor and just considering that there were some deficiencies you felt like you had, um, what it would require. Um, how do you, in that role as pastor, acknowledge that, but also staff to that, empower people to do those things so you can be the best version as a leader of yourself, you know, that you can bring to the table to be that cheerleader, to do all that. At the same time, you know, addressing those areas um, that might be areas of improvement for you, but how do you staff to that and how do you guys do that in in your congregation? That's a great question. I think for me, there was a pivotal moment in leadership where I read a book by Andy Stanley called Next Generational Leader. And for me personally, that really began to liberate me for so many years. I'd heard, work on your weaknesses, work on your weaknesses, be a well-rounded person. And that sounds really good until you're in a position of leadership and you have to figure out your lanes, the hedgehog concept. And so the things that you do really well. And for me, administratively, that was not a gifting. There's a lot of reasons why I'm, I'm ADD and, and for me, I'm, I'm very scattered. But for me, there are certain things that I get really hyper-focused about, and communication is one of those. So discovering what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were was a self-inventory moment that I had to just be honest about and not feel bad about. So the fact that I'm not organized and there are some deficiencies in that administrative managerial mindset, but at the same time, because of a strength on the other side of maybe big vision or messaging when it comes to strategy there's the air war there's the ground war and there's the messaging war 
And so for me, I, I felt like I operated really well in the air war and the messaging war, but needed people that would win the day in the ground war, like boots on the ground, people that would be strategists and practitioners in such a way that would carry out the vision. And so for me, when it came to staffing, there's a lot of dynamics, but we identified five core values for us as a church that would solidify what we look for in a perfect teammate, honor, humility, hustle, hospitality, and high capacity. All of those could be substantiated by scripture. And those are five core values that I line myself up to. I want to operate in honor. We outdo each other with honor. That when it comes to humility, I don't think less of myself. C.S. Lewis said, you think, you think of yourself less. Hustle, when we begin to embrace that our work is not just to be done in, with all energy to work hard, but to know that our work's holy. And hospitality is not just what we have, it's what we offer in high capacity, not just to exist, but to exceed expectations. When I identified these are the five core values that I live by personally, those were my strengths. Then to staff with people that had that same gifting, but it manifested itself, that is, they had those five core values, but had a, a, a gifting that manifested itself that could take the vision and run with it and invite people to be a part of the process was something that I learned earlier on. And so before I became pastor of this church, I, I made a list of people that I'd met. I called it bookmarking. And I just made a list of people that I saw certain characteristics and traits in that I felt like it would be valuable if I ever was to be a pastor. And so that was significant to me because then I realized if I'm the smartest person in the room, we're in trouble. Like we're in trouble because all of us have, have blind spots. And for me, I needed to invite people into those areas that sometimes are outside of my peripheral vision and that people would think about scope and sequence. Todd, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. There are a lot of people that know, okay, this is our vision. And I'll, I'll just give this for example. Our Nike statement at our church is we initiate and celebrate life change in Jesus' name. Initiate, celebrate. But then somebody would go, okay, that's a big message, so how do you do that? I, I needed somebody to take this phrase that we reach, teach, help, and go in Jesus' name. And somebody goes, all right, so how do we get that more pragmatic? And for people that would get into my life and go, what does that look like scope and sequence for them to go, okay, I see a house, and that's front porch, living room, kitchen, back porch. But my mind didn't work that way. I needed somebody to see that. And then for somebody to go, okay, now we have programs and personalities or or employees that match up to the different quadrants of the house per the vision. I needed somebody to come in. And so Scott Kendig, who has spoken here at Falls Creek, is that guy. And we've surrounded ourselves with people much like that, that carry out the vision. Because if not, then our language becomes very vague. And vision, effective vision that's carried out, like for example, I'm, I'm thinking of our listeners today. Every one of our churches has a mission and vision statement. But if we were to ask the question, how many of those mission and vision statements are actually being fulfilled today? I think first there'd be one or two things. I think there are people listening today go, I know we have a mission and vision statement, but I can't even state it. Like I don't even know it. It's probably too big or it's too grandiose. We can't even wrap our mind around it. And then the second question I'd ask to anybody that's listening today that's on staff at a church is, is the structure of your church set up to fulfill that vision? is the personalities or the people that are in employment positions where they brought in to exercise scope and sequence. That is to take, and this is the verbiage that we use at our church, is to take this concept that membership matters, 
members maturing, members, every member a minister, and every member on mission. That's the four-step process of developing what we would call a CBC winsome follower of Jesus. I can think big like that, but man, the grind on that, that's, that's messy. That's difficult. And I needed to be able to find people that could think through those things that would have giftings and, and gift mix mixes that were totally different from mine. Because if you surround yourself with people that are just like you, that eat, breathe, and sleep what you do, then you're going to realize that they have the same blind spot you have. And so, therefore, there's a, an exposure in the blind spot. So to get people that think totally different is – but here's the problem. Sometimes those personalities at times could feel like sandpaper to you because they're so opposite of you. But it takes a lot of different gift mixes and personalities but if there's common vision and vocabulary, it's amazing what people can do from different walks of life that have a common goal. And man, I wish somebody would have told me that earlier on. I read that in books. I read that in seminary. But when you're living this and you understand the importance of it, mm-hmm. I could not stress that enough that you got to surround yourself with people that have competencies in areas that you're incompetent. But you got to be a secure leader enough to address the incompetencies. I meet so many people that feel like they don't have any weaknesses. They're a well-rounded person. The more you can identify your weaknesses, then you can really begin to staff towards your strengths. Yeah, so um, considering that, what, what is the hardest, difficult, most difficult, messiest part of that process of staffing to weakness? Yeah, because um, it's, a, it is, right. it's a great question, Tom, because when it comes to leading a team, it, it, it's very much relational. So, so Jesus had this model where he would walk in front, he would walk beside, he would walk behind, and then he would let them go. And being a leader oftentimes is we want to walk in front, but also a secure leader is able not only to walk in front but then come alongside of, which is watch the first phase is watch me do it, then let's do it together. Now I'm going to watch you do it, and now I'm going to release you to fully do it. That's hard for a leader to do because at the end of the day, when things are good or bad, you as the primary leader take the brunt of criticism. So the natural knee-jerk reaction of most leaders is that when I've empowered you to do it and you fumble the ball, then I'll just take it back from you because I can't take more criticism for something that you're doing. But when there's relational capital that's built, you can say some hard things to a person that's on your team and them not walk in fear. Oftentimes, people in, in church world, because we're so, all of us are non-confrontational, when we fail, we feel as if, like, okay, I can't, I can't be redeemed. Well, the gospel is about redemption. But what happens a lot of times is, and we talked about this the other day, staff members move on and we say, say, say things like this, well, you weren't a good fit. But what did that mean? Because we didn't define the fit. We, did, we didn't find what the win was. Sometimes the goalposts move or... We don't even try to help somebody in the process. And so that's where it gets messy is when we have to address shortcomings. But how do we do it with what we call invitation challenge mindset? Jesus invested, 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 and then was able to say some hard things like Simon Peter. It's like, hey, need you to lead this group of disciples. And then there's a moment where Simon Peter goes, hey, um, you're not going to die. Like, I, that, that's crazy. It, you just told everybody you're going to die? No way. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. How was he able to say that and not crumble Simon Peter? 
It was because of investment challenge. But as leaders, here's what we have a tendency to do. We're so goal-driven, task-driven, so we're just challenge, 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 which means that we got to get the job done. But when you try to live that way as a leader without investment, relational capital, then you have a stressed-out culture. A stressed-out culture is we have to achieve the task. We have to meet the objective. But when that's not done in relationship, then everybody operates in fear, and we walk on proverbial eggshells. That's that's where that gets difficult. So, so true. and that's, that's where good. it gets messy. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's good for uh, us to hear and, and be reminded of is, is that even when you're in the process of this very important thing, empowering others to ministry, um, it can get messy, but it's worth definitely worth the, worth the investment, worth the investment. So let's take a little break here. We'll come back. One last question for Ed uh, here on the Scopus Podcast. All right, welcome back to segment three. We're in studio with Mr. Ed Newton, Pastor Ed. Um, here's what I want to ask you to close. Um, what are what, what are a couple of things that you know now that you wish you knew now that you're a, a pastor in this role, serving in this way, having made this transition, that you wish you would have known, you know, 20 years ago in ministry? I think the number one thing is, I thought I'd get to this place and think that I knew, but I think to wrestle with the fact that I'm going to live my life not fully knowing, which means that in order to know, you have to admit that you're on the journey. And I I think I've come to the grips of my life that I'm going to be a perpetual student. Like I'm never going to fully have this figured out. And if somebody would have said that to me, because I thought, all right, as as a young called to ministry high school senior, I'd serve my time. And then I'd come to that place of like, I've arrived. Like I've learned it got all this education, got this experience. But the more I get into this, I'm reminded of the less that I really know. So I think for me, just to walk in the fact that his mercies are new every morning, his revelation is is day to day, and may I hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I would say that, one, I felt like I was at a certain season going, if I could just obtain this kind of knowledge, if I could obtain this kind of experience that I could be the leader that God's called me to be. But I've realized that this whole ministry journey is not a destination. It is the journey. And that the journey is just as significant as the destination. Mm -hmm. So if I could have heard that earlier on, because for me personally, it's like, I want to get, I want to be successful. I want to be effective, but sometimes that becomes the goal. And I miss the, the joy of doing what I do on the day to day because I'm so goal driven that I miss to really begin to celebrate the personal victory or the ministerial victory that happened today. So many times it's like, we got to get to this. And we mentioned it earlier. I got to get to this number of people. I got to, I'm going to see this number of baptisms and we want to increase our student ministry by this percentage. But meanwhile, forgetting to live in that we initiate and celebrate life change. Every story is worth celebrating. And so yeah. if somebody could have said that to me earlier on, don't be so hyper-focused on results. Really begin to base your ministry upon relationships. Yeah. Good. If you build people, you'll get the church. Hmm. I mean, you think about it. Jesus doesn't try to build the church and then get disciples. He gets disciples and then he builds the church. And somebody could have told me that. I thought, well, we could build a church. I mean... We could have the best programs and we can have the best personalities and all that stuff. And 
that comes and goes. Man, you build people, you'll get the church. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Great practical leadership lessons there, Ed. Thanks so much for the time that you've made for us, and I know that our listeners will benefit from this and are appreciative of it, and uh, we'll look forward to the next time. Thank you, Here on the Scopos Podcast, where we help you hit the mark in life and ministry. Next time on Scopos. Embarked on this new philosophy that said, you know, we're going to be a discipleship first culture, which means that Sunday is second. And it was a transition. And so, um, you know, the Met's a pretty large church. She's 50 years old. Scopos and the Scopos podcast are ministries of the BGCO and made available through the generous gifts of Oklahoma Baptists to the cooperative program. Find out more about Oklahoma Youth Ministry at scopos.org. Thank you for listening to the Scopos Podcast. The Scopos Podcast is brought to you by the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, Scopos Youth Ministry Team, Sound Engineering by Glenna Birch, Original Music by J.J. Worthen, and VoiceOver by Kim Harrison.